it's good to see you all. Uh, again, even though we're distant, it's great to be able to see people on screen. That's one advantage of using Zoom over some of the other things. Uh, Eric's already introduced my name is Wayne. I'm one of the elders here at KCC, and it's great to be with you. And so we're at the end of the book of Jonah, chapter four. We're going to be looking at that with you now. Um, I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'll read that chapter, and uh, I believe Eric will pop it on the screen for us, and then I'll get into what I believe God has to say for us from that chapter. So let's pray first. Lord, we thank you we can come together, but we thank you especially for your word. And actually, as we consider the book of Jonah, when your word did its work, uh, when it was proclaimed in Nineveh, we ask that you bless us in the same way as your word is read and preached. Would it do its work? Lord, would you use it for your purposes and for your glory? Give us ears that are ready to hear, to hear your voice and soft hearts that are ready to be changed by it. Lord, be with us now so that as we sit under the authority of your words, we would know you better and love you more by the end of it. For your glory. Amen. Eric, are you going to pop the, there you go, so people can follow along. So read chapter four before start going into it and picking it apart. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in that love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plants? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So some questions for you before uh, we look at that in more detail. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone about the judgment of God or God's discipline? or the reality of hell and what it might be like. If you're like me, it probably has been quite a while since you've had any of those kind of conversations. They tend to be topics we seem to steer clear of, especially with non-Christians. And I wonder if it's because we're just a bit embarrassed about that part of God's character. Or maybe we believe the lie that some people tell that the Old Testament and the New Testament have different messages. We have angry God in the Old Testament and then loving, caring Jesus in the New Testament. 
that somehow God had a massive personality change the moment Jesus was born. Do we really believe a loving and compassionate God can also be a God of judgment and discipline? We seem to like the loving compassion bits and quietly drop the judgment and discipline stuff. Well, I'm confident as we look now at Jonah chapter four and looking back a little bit at some of the earlier parts of the book of Jonah, God will correct misunderstandings that we have. And I think he'll also rebuke us where we intentionally change his message. But I think and what I hope and what I've been praying for most of all is that God will encourage us as he reminds us of his character and increases our confidence in the gospel he's given us. Because what we see in Jonah 4 is that God works through his judgment and discipline to display his love and compassion. The two actually go together. The Old and New Testament proclaim the same message. God hasn't had a personality change. He doesn't have emotional mood swings. He is always perfectly just and perfectly loving. Uh, so let's do a quick recap before we get into chapter four. Um, we've all been at home and locked down. You probably got used to the binge watching on TV. This is normally a bit where there's on the screen, I've noticed they pull a skip recap option on. You click on it and just jump to the next one. Unfortunately, we don't have that function. So you're going to have to listen to the recap, even if you can remember it all. The book started with God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh with a message of warning. God's judgment is coming. Jonah disobeyed and ran in the opposite direction through a storm and a large fish god disciplined jonah and jonah repented god saved jonah so god called jonah again and sent him to nineveh and this time jonah obeyed jonah went to nineveh and preached the message god had given him and the people responded responded positively they believed and repented and because they repented god forgave them and that disaster that was threatened didn't come. And as I was considering chapter four, I thought actually the story could have stopped there. Jonah finally went. God's word did its work. The people believed and repented. What a great, great encouragement that would be to God's people. Just have the first three chapters. But clearly we have chapter four. And so I think there's more that God wants to tell us. Now, I know most of you probably know the whole story of Jonah already, but I'm going to ask you to pretend you don't. And I'm going to kind of go through and imagine, ask you to imagine a similar scenario today. So instead of here to preach to you on Jonah 4, I've been asked to come and share some news with you. Well, I was recently called by God to go around Kenilworth, Leamington, Warwick and, and the whole surrounding area and preach the gospel. Well, I have to admit, I was initially reluctant. In fact, I went all the way to Ipswich to get away. However, God worked circumstances to force me to come back. And he called me again. Go to Kenilworth, Leamington, Warwick and the surrounding area and preach the gospel. So I went. I walked around for three days and proclaimed the gospel to everyone I could. The people responded in faith and repentance. The community leaders called everyone to go to church. The churches are bursting. Around 100,000 people have turned to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Now, if that were a true story, what would you expect my response to be? What mood would you expect me to be in? What do you think I would want to say to God? 
well, if I was still in the mode of imitating Jonah, this would be my response. I knew God would forgive them. They don't deserve forgiveness. That's why I didn't want to preach the gospel to them in the first place. In fact, I'm so angry with God. I want to die. God, just end my life now. Uh, hopefully that's not the response you would expect if that had been a true story from me. Uh, and I hope it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It should. And when I read it, it reminded me not so long ago, we looked at the parable of the lost son and the older brother, the same self-righteous anger at such an extravagant display of God's grace. But that's where chapter four starts. We had the great uh, display of God's grace in chapter three, but beginning of chapter four, Jonah is in an angry sulk about it. But through that dialogue uh, between God and Jonah and through the things we see God do in this chapter, we're going to see, I hope, that actually God is working through his judgment and discipline to display his love and compassion. This chapter will remind us that God is perfectly just and perfectly loving at the same time. And I think the story is a bit like uh, a camera you have where you can pull on different lenses. Sometimes there's a wide angle shot. And we see God interacting with Nineveh, a city of 120,000 people. And then there are close-up shots. God interacting with Jonah just on a one-to-one -one individual basis. And the story keeps going between the two. So I'm going to start with just the wide-angle shots. We'll look at what was God's interaction with Nineveh about. What does that teach us? Well, we have to think back to the beginning of the book. God sent Jonah to Nineveh with a message of judgment and discipline. Right back, beginning of chapter one, God called Jonah to preach against Nineveh. And when he called him again, at the beginning of chapter three, he's told to proclaim the message God gives him. And then in verse four, we see what that message was. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. But what was the outcome? Well, immediately we see that actually the Ninevites believed. God relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened, a city of 120,000 people are all converted in under three days. And I'm pretty sure if that happened here, we'd consider that to be a spirit-inspired revival. And when we read chapter four, we see actually that was the intention all along. And Jonah knows this when we read his response in verses two and three, chapter four, he knew that was what God was all about. Hence his initial disobedience and his anger. He actually wanted Nineveh to be destroyed, but he knew God would be patient and forgiving. And at the end of chapter four, verses 10, 11, God explains why he had compassion on them. And I think from the uh, story with the plant, the implication is that he has compassion because he created them. They're part of his creation they're his and he loves them despite their wickedness so the message of judgment and discipline that God gave Jonah was always intended to provoke a response of repentance so that God could display his love and compassion God was being perfectly just the Ninevites were evil and wicked they deserved God's judgment and discipline and God would be right to punish them if they had not repented but God was also being perfectly loving, being loving by sending them a warning, giving them 40 days in which to 
change their ways and repent. And then when they did repent, it was loving of God to relent and forgive them. It's that wide-angled lens of a camera, God dealing with a large group of people. I think that should remind us God is the creator of all things and all people, and he loves all people and the whole of his creation. The gospel here in the New Testament, as well as the New Testament, is clearly for everyone. It always has been and always will be. And even back in chapter one, we saw a glimpse of that. Uh, the sailors saw the judgment and discipline of God, and their response was to worship God and to make sacrifices and vows. They too were converted. Through God's judgment and discipline, he displayed his love and compassion. And so the same things are still true today. It's the same message we know from the Great Commission in Matthew 28. God wants the gospel to go to the whole world. We know from Revelation 7, God intends the new heaven and the new earth to include people from every nation, tribe and language. And we know if you read Romans chapter 3, the gospel is a message that includes the reality of God's judgment and discipline as well as his love and compassion. And I think hopefully this will encourage you, encourage me. Ideally, our evangelism should be motivated by compassion, but it does not rely on our compassion. It relies on God's. And we can read that again, not just in general, but in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It's a work of God. So we should have great confidence in the gospel. As it says in Romans 1, we, it is the power to save. And it is so powerful that even when it's preached by a reluctant evangelist who lacks compassion like Jonah, it will do its work. That's how powerful God's message is. So we had that wide angle lens. So now let's look at the close up shots, the zoom in onto Jonah. How did God interact with Jonah? And what does that teach us? Well, initially, obviously, it tells us God is not just interested in creation as a whole but also in us as individuals and in all people as individuals and then we see the same god was perfectly just when dealing with jonah when jonah disobeyed god disciplined him when jonah was angry and sulky god disciplined him and jonah deserved to be judged and disciplined both times but on the other hand god was also perfectly loving when dealing with jonah he didn't let Jonah drown and die. He sent a large fish to rescue him. And Jonah came to a point of repentance and willing obedience. When God disciplined Jonah outside Nineveh, he was disciplining in him so that he would learn something. God gave Jonah shade via plants and then took the plant away and set, sent a hot wind. In fact, Jonah ends up more uncomfortable than he was before. Um, and if you've taken interest in Jonah, you won't be surprised that there was a selfish, impulsive, dramatic, emotional response to being uncomfortable. And, and he cries out again, I want to die. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. Um, and it reminded me a little bit of when I was a teenager. It's a few years ago now, but I remember it a little bit. You know, you're still young enough that you have a mostly self-centered perspective. You only really have to worry about your own needs and wants but you're growing up and your hormones are all over the place, which means your emotions are too. And those trivial things can seem like the end of the world. Something as 
trivial as a parent saying they want you home at 10 p.m. rather than 11 p.m.? How could they? Don't they know everyone else is allowed to stay until 11? I might as well not go. I hate my parents. My life is rubbish. I might as well be dead. Obviously, I don't, not speaking to the teenagers who might be listening, that was a personal reflection on what I was like as a teenager. Uh, but now I'm a parent and a teacher and a volunteer youth worker. I am amazed at how patiently God deals with Jonah with that response. God is loving and patient and he teaches Jonah. He explains to him his compassion and why he wanted to warn Nineveh and forgive them. That discipline of Jonah had a loving purpose. God isn't getting his own back on Jonah. He's not just satisfying his anger at Jonah's response. He's correcting and changing Jonah. He's discipling Jonah. So through God's judgment and discipline of Jonah, he displays his love and compassion. And that, again, should remind us God disciplines those he loves. We read in Hebrews 12, which is actually quoting Proverbs 3. Again, great illustration that the Old and New Testament have the same message. We're reminded God is a perfect, loving father. And we're reminded that God is at work, actively at work, to change his people into the likeness of Jesus. But what about us? Uh, I don't know about you, but how do you respond to God's discipline when it comes along? And maybe you've been through a time of God's discipline recently, or going through a time of God's discipline now. What's your response? I'm not sure any of us enjoy discipline whether it was as a child with our parents or even as adults when God disciplines us we don't enjoy it but what's your response are you petulant and sulky like Jonah or maybe you're more like Job actually if you read Job he's a bit more pragmatic it says in Job 1 the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away may the name of the Lord be praised far more pragmatic and accepting well actually for us we're told in Romans and James to rejoice when we face trials because it's through these trials we're made more like Jesus and our faith is refined it is through discipline that we've reached maturity as disciples of Jesus so again for us when uh, we experience God's discipline through that discipline God is displaying his love and compassion and Jesus himself told the parable of the vine and the branches telling us that God prunes the fruitful branches so they become more fruitful. So that pruning that can feel painful has a good and loving purpose. So the right response to God's discipline is to rejoice that God is at work in us. And I don't mean rejoice in the discipline, but in the fact that it shows God is at work. It's not the same as enjoying the, the actual experience of being disciplined. And as we're being disciplined, we can find joy through obedience as we experience more of God's love. Again, not much long further after that parable, Jesus told his followers, John 15, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and re remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. God disciplines us because he loves us. Our response to his love should be obedience, and obedience will bring us joy. So we've seen that God is perfectly just, 
I think if we're honest, although we don't like justice being done or discipline being done to us, actually we do want a God who is just. We want justice. There should be consequences for the evil that's been done in the world. And so God, given his position and his authority, is the right person to judge and discipline people. When you're at home, if there are any children listening, when you're naughty at home, your parents catch you, you get in trouble with your parents because they're the ones who have authority in the home. Or you're at school, it's the teachers. Or for those of you a bit older, in the workplace, if you break your employer's rules, it's your superior, your line manager, your boss, who you're going to get in trouble with. They have authority. Or if we're out and about in society generally, we break the law. Actually, if we're caught, the police are going to prosecute us and we're likely to be punished. We recognise that justice is a good thing and there, is, there are consequences for law-breaking. And so it shouldn't surprise us that it's also right for God to discipline those who break his rules as the creator of all things. And I would suggest, actually, we wouldn't think much of a God who did not ensure there was justice. So we want a God who's just, but because God is perfectly just, we need a God who is also loving. Because we're all sinners by nature. I could ask you now, who's ever broken a rule at home, at school, at work? We'd all have to confess. Who's ever broken a law? I'm sure most of us who drive have broken at least one law at one point. We'd all have to confess. We've broken the rules, man-made rules, let alone God's rules. So we, if we've ever broken one of God's laws, he's right to punish us. Judgment and discipline are what we actually deserve. It's the love and compassion we don't deserve. And without it... We're without hope and we're heading for hell. And I think that's why chapter four in the book of Jonah should be such a great encouragement to us because when Jonah talks about God's character and God talks about his compassion, we're reminded that it's part of God's very nature to be loving and compassionate as well as just. God cannot be unloving. God is perfectly loving all the time he is lovingly committed to his creation he's lovingly committed to his people and in his love he's made covenants and promises that he will not break and thankfully those promises don't rely on what we do or how we act god is so perfectly loving he will always keep his promises i think that's a clear message of jonah overall but particularly in chapter four but as i said that that idea that the Old and New Testament have different messages, surely when we look at Jonah, we hit that on the head. That could easily be a sermon from the early church in Acts 2 and 3, where the talk of God's judgment, hand in hand with God's forgiveness and love. And in fact, it's in the New Testament where we see the fullest expression of God's perfect justice and perfect love. When Jesus is on the cross and I often remind myself this by remembering the cross has two beams of wood and one if I remind myself one re represents justice and the other one represents love and it's the two together that makes the crucifixion so glorious and magnificent when Jesus was crucified justice was done sin was paid for and the punishment was taken when Jesus was crucified love was in action God the son died in our place and now free forgiveness is on offer and we can be reconciled with God.
Well, what should we take from all of this? I really hope you are encouraged by a reminder of who God is. Encouraged by the reminder that God is perfectly just and perfectly loving. And those of you who are Christians, be encouraged that God has made a covenant with you in love that he will never break. So those encouragements, what about challenges? Actually, I think all of what we've considered and the book of Jonah, more significantly the Jonah chapter 4, should really, really motivate our evangelism. Should really inspire us to have confidence in the gospel and want to go out and proclaim it to each and every person we know. And it should fuel our commitment to worldwide mission. This is a gospel not just for our neighbours and work colleagues and families. It's for the whole world. So let's invest time and energy into our personal evangelism with those we know, but also into supporting directly or indirectly through finances and prayer. Worldwide mission. Uh, And I want to leave you with two questions depending on whether you're Christian or not a Christian yet I think there are two questions posed by this chapter that we need to answer and I think that's what the book does in chapter four does well because at the end of chapter four actually we don't know how Jonah responds to what God has said and done did he learn his lesson did he change did he increase in compassion did he become less emotional and sulky we don't know and again I saw that parallel with the lost son parable in the older son when the older son is older brother is challenged we don't know the response and i think god leaves those stories incomplete because to a certain extent it doesn't matter how jonah responded if it did god would record it for us in his words and it's not as if god is just setting up a cliffhanger so there's a sequel to come (laughs) that we'll want to get into the stories are left open so we are forced to contemplate our own response rather than worry about well what did Jonah do what are you going to do God has spoken God has acted what is your response to what he's done and said so if you're not a Christian how are you going to respond to God's warning of judgment and discipline hell awaits all those who continue to reject Jesus But at the same time, God offers you the opportunity to turn to him in repentance and faith. And he promises to welcome you. He's calling you to be reconciled to him through Christ. What is your answer? For those of us who are Christians, how are we going to respond to God's discipline? As God works in you to change you, are you going to submit and join in? Or are you going to resist his loving discipline? Jesus called you to be a wholehearted, genuine disciple who would follow him no matter what the cost. He's asking you to recommit to that call. What will your answer be? I'm going to leave you with those two questions to answer yourself, to reflect on prayerfully. Uh, Before I pass back to Eric, I'm going to pray for us in response to what we've just considered. Heavenly Lord, we thank you again for your words. Thank you for the reminder of your perfect character, your perfect justice and your perfect love. And as believers today, we know that that was most perfectly expressed at the cross. And we thank you that Jesus willingly went to the cross for us.
that there was justice there, that our sin was paid for, and that you did that because you love us so that we can be saved and reconciled with you. And so, Lord, we pray for any who are with us who are not yet Christians, that they would hear that message and respond in faith today. Would they know what it means to call Jesus Lord and Saviour? Lord, we pray for ourselves that we would respond to that challenge to be more motivated to evangelism and more committed to worldwide mission. Lord, would we have something of your compassion for those who are lost, who don't know Jesus, those in the world who don't even yet have the gospel to respond to? Lord, thank you that we can trust your promises. That even when you discipline us, when you are working in us, it is for our good so that we become more like Jesus, that we are better disciples and better able to bring you glory in this world. And as we each reflect on the questions we've been left with, would your spirit be at work in us, leading us to make the right decisions and to follow through on those decisions so that all we do, every day, every moment of every day, would be for your glory. Amen.